Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 33rd episode. It is good to be back talking about the XFL. Even as the COVID-19 pandemic continues, XFL fans have received good news in the purchase of the league by Danny Garcia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Redbird Capital. We are not yet sure when and how the XFL will hit the field for the next game. And this is exactly what we will talk about here today. In this episode, we have two interviews. First, we talk to Randy Mueller, former Director of Pro Personnel for the Houston Roughnecks. We discuss the XFL's player recruitment process, the accomplishments of the league, and more specifically, the success of the Houston Roughnecks. Then we will touch upon how Randy feels the league may continue forward and whether he might be part of that process. Second, we will speak to Greg Parks, an XFLboard.com team reporter for the Tampa Bay Vipers, and Mike Mitchell, a writer for XFL News Hub and XFLboard.com. We discussed the purchase of the XFL, possible league startup schedules, which XFL personnel may return, and the broadcast possibilities that might now be on the table. Plus, Danny Garcia mentioned expansion. What did she mean by that? This podcast is our longest yet, at over 1 hour 40 minutes. We dissect a lot of important topics in this one, and that explains its length. That's what she said. Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Randy Mueller to the podcast. Now, Randy has worked in the front office of many NFL teams, starting with the Seattle Seahawks back in the early 80s and served as the general manager for the New Orleans Saints and Miami Dolphins and in the front office of the Chargers for 10 years. More recently, he was called upon to be the general manager of the Alliance of American Football Salt Lake Stallions and then as the director of pro personnel for the Houston Roughnecks. Welcome, Randy. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. First of all, I went. I looked at your Twitter feed just to get a little, uh, see if I can get some some important background on you. And uh, I noticed you retweeted a tweet from the Linfield College Wildcats recently. <laughs> well, I, I went to school at in Linfield at Linfield College in Oregon. I grew up in Northern Idaho, a little logging town, St. Mary's, Idaho, and and those two places are near and dear to me. So any chance I can to to give either my college or my high school a shout out, I sure do. That's for sure. Even after all this time in the NFL, it's uh, it's good to be uh, associated with home. That's for sure, wherever it is. Yeah. So that was the Linfield College Wildcats from McFinnville that you uh, you retweeted, right? That's where you were quarterback in your in your college experience. I was. I played there years ago, and uh, it's been a program that has been. Uh, a very successful program for the last 60, I believe it's 63 years, they've had a winning season every year, which leads all levels anywhere. So that's a lot of winning, and I'm proud to be associated with it. Well, that's fantastic. Now, uh, I know where McKenville is because I actually visited there a few years ago. I went there to see the Spruce Goose. Oh, yeah. A lot of people associate McMinnville with the Spruce Goose. I've been through that myself, and uh, very. it was a, a very interesting day, and, uh, gosh, a lot of history uh in the Spruce Goose and the and the uh, Aviation Museum that's right outside McMinnville. Yeah, it's quite it's quite remarkable. It's quite huge. I really loved it. Yeah. Now uh, let's go back to football. Now the first question has to be related. 
it has to be related to your recent history of working for football leagues that don't complete their season. <laughs> is is there a curse? And I'm not talking about a curse on you. I'm talking about a curse yeah. on professional leagues that are alternative to the NFL. Well, I'm hoping that's not a big black cloud following me everywhere. That's for sure. When I decided to, to uh, join up with the AAF and then the XFL, I only had my 35 years in the, in the NFL. So it's been a change. It was different, but it was enjoyable. Um, I guess spring ball, spring football is still making its way, although I would say this, after experience in the AAF and the XFL, I believe stronger than ever that there's a market for it, that people are interested in it, that TV would would be successful putting it on, which I think really showed in the XFL, and uh, hopefully that means it has a future at some point, wherever that is. There was some remarkable uh, achievements, despite the uh, the remarkable failure, for different reasons, of course. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Now, your job, through all your experience, is to know football players and scout the best players for your team. Anyone that knows the Roughneck Squad knows you folks did a tremendous job getting some of the best talent that was available. That was uh, it, it was a fun experience. June Jones and I, obviously our head coach, had gone back uh, probably 30 years of association. Um, it was fun to find the players to fit the exact scheme that June and I had kind of envisioned for many years. And uh, we were, I wouldn't say pleasantly surprised, because we knew there were some good players on the street, but we were uh, very intrigued by what we were able to put together in such a short period of time. And I think it showed uh, when, when the pandemic hit and when the XFL uh, music stopped, we were 5-0 and and, and we're well on our way to having a successful year. So I think uh, the keys for us were, were finding guys to fit exactly what June wanted to do on offense and on defense. And June Jones is a very underrated team builder, very underrated motivator and coach, been successful at both the college and professional level. And I was, I was very fortunate to be associated with him in this ben- venture and uh, who knows, maybe uh, June will be able to crank it up again here at some point. Yeah, it'd be, it would be fun to see that return. Because I, I uh, hate to ask you this next question is, how far could the Roughnecks have gone in that season? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. There were other good teams in the league, without a doubt. Um, I think uh, the St. Louis team from the East uh, had done a really good job of acquiring players and, and – uh, Jonathan Hayes putting that together uh, with Trey Brown. And, and it was a fun, uh, competitive league. Uh, I think we were just getting to the point, you know, at the halfway point when we could actually get a little traction as to see who was uh, going to be in, in involved in a, in a championship chase. So that was uh, disheartening. Obviously, the fans in, in most of the areas were disheartened as well. We in Houston had a great environment where we averaged almost 20,000 fans per game and it was fun uh people would come out of the woodwork to come to these games and showed passion and and uh really you know football in texas is a different world anyway and and they were able to show it in the spring uh so you know the 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 successes that the league had definitely opened some eyes i think especially on national tv contracts and and the ratings they got so i think if if it ever did come back the tv would be key that's for sure yeah, no doubt. And then also, as you pointed out, there was, it was a short season and it was building, it was already building to something great. Imagine if you would have had double that or double the length of the season plus playoffs. Yeah, you know, we had the week before, uh, 
I keep saying this, but the week before the music stopped, we were already planning for year two as a league and, and a lot of good, exciting things that we were going to build on upon year one. So the, the eyes were definitely in the future. I think it was a proven commodity and was fast becoming a a, uh, a fanatic uh, uh, event. You know, people were really liking it. So, yeah, that part was disheartening. We didn't get to see it through, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, it was a good experience for a lot of players. It, it set them up to return to the NFL or to the CFL or wherever they wanted to go. And uh, it was good for everybody involved. Now, the uh, XFL had a robust process for discovering talent. Uh, and it, it was quite it was quite lengthy. Uh, and I believe you came to Houston just before they held the summer showcases or summer showcase in Houston. But you were yeah. already looking at players in June 2019, right? Yeah, I think. The, the the big benefit some of us had in the XFL was the AAF because we had just gone through it and, and built our teams in the AAF. So we had a pretty good line on where players were going to come from, who were the better players in the AAF. The showcases, uh, I think, were as much a marketing tool as anything else. We did ident- uh, identify a few more guys, but at this point, I think the majority of the players came from the AAF, and we knew that the, that the better players were going to be the ones that were released from NFL camps. And, you know, that didn't happen until August, but, but it was a long process. You're correct. And, and I think it was thorough. And uh, I think there was value at every step of the way uh, as far as building the team goes. So we had many opportunities to add players through the direction and the process of the XFL league office. Uh, Doug Whaley was the, uh, kind of chairman of the board on the football side and did a good job with his crew, keeping people uh, directed and uh, able to uh, build the kind of teams they wanted to build. So when you arrived uh, with the the Roughnecks, you probably already had a team mapped out. You know, we we had a fairly, yeah, fairly extensive view of of players that were available. I think the biggest thing was uh, the league had to come up with a set of rules and guidelines about how teams could acquire these players. But yeah, we had a pretty good feel. I think the good thing for June and I was that we had, even though we hadn't worked together, we kind of knew exactly what we wanted for our team and in the fashion we wanted to build it. So I felt like we were a little bit ahead of the learning curve, even when those, uh, Around the around the country, when we had those showcases, we already kind of knew and, and had written our job description, so to speak, for the guys who we wanted to fit in there. And that was an advantage for us. Now, when the XFL started sending out draft invites uh, about a month before the draft, and they built up a lengthy list of draft-ready players, and I know that you probably had some input, your team had some input into who would be on that list, but it was a fluid list, right? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it had ebbs and flows, and... And actually, to be honest with you, it's kind of comical. We even changed direction during the process. And when I say we, the league office. So sometimes the first time through, there's not a manual. <laughs> and the only thing for sure is that nothing's for sure. So we were fluid with our rules and directives. And and uh, it gave the teams a chance to kind of uh, pick and choose as we went. But, yeah, there was, a, there was a long list of invitees to many different venues and showcases that we had to kind of scour through the tape on. And uh, we were able to kind of, I think, successfully find the best players who weren't in the NFL. And that was our goal is to, to find those guys that were in the gray area, that were either last cuts here or last cuts there, that maybe it was just an opportunity in a system that they lacked. But uh, our goal was to find the best players not playing on Sundays. 
So is that indicative of how much football talent is available out there, the the amount of change there was in the draft list? Without a doubt. I think um, there are good football players and NFL-quality football players that are not playing in the NFL. It's a deep pool, and it's opportunities that, that people lack. There are good players in every NFL camp that really just don't get a chance because of the numbers. Having run an NFL team many times, I, I see, uh, and you kind of have your favorites, you have your on paper, your roster, who you want to see make your team. And there are people that just don't, there's just not enough reps to give everybody. So I think a spring league like this, or really any league outside the NFL, can give those guys the opportunities. I mean, there's no uh, secret about really the best player in the league was P.J. Walker, our quarterback at Houston. He had been on the practice squad in Indianapolis two years, never really got a chance in a real game. But in our game, he got five chances and, and parlayed that into a really nice deal with Carolina and is back in the NFL. So it's all about opportunity. I don't care what the industry is. If you give people opportunities, they're going to either shine or not. That's up to them. And, and this was a good uh, platform for, for uh, football to shine in a lot of different ways. P.J. Walker is a great example of a success story for a, a player going uh, back into the NFL. And, of course, the old XFL had uh, some good stories about that as well yep. um, with Rod Smart and uh, Tommy Maddox, of course. Now, with P.J. Walker, every XFL team was initially signed a quarterback, and Houston received P.J. Walker, who turned out to be the top quarterback in the league. Now, what was the process involved for Houston to get P.J. Walker as their starting quarterback? Well, at the end of the day, he might have been assigned to us, but these are players that we scouted, followed, and and prioritized during the whole time. So by the time he was assigned to us, it it was already clear that he was our guy from back in the day, uh, you know, when we first started, which was two or three months before this. So teams got to pick who they wanted. Um, the, the assignment of quarterbacks was more of a, a public way to attach a guy to a team. But we got to really handpick the guys we wanted. And both June and I, uh, June played against PJ at, at Temple when he was the coach at SMU. And I had followed him closely all through the preseasons of the last two years in Indianapolis. So he was our guy early on. And uh, we were able to kind of always have him at the top of our list. So um, the teams had a lot to say about who the quarterbacks were that they got for sure. So you and June had uh, earmarked P.J. Walker for some time before uh, before he was uh, officially granted to your team? Yes, 100%. He was at the top of our list, like I say, dating back several months before he was actually assigned. Was there uh, was there some uh, negotiation or uh, or uh, over quarterbacks that maybe a team wanted the same quarterback? Was there a negotiation that happened? You know, it's funny. Um I'm not aware of that at all, and, and some of that may have happened at the league level, but what do they say? That's why Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. Everybody likes a different flavor. And so, to, to my knowledge, most of the teams, and I think all the teams, got the guys they wanted. They did their own evaluations. Uh, you know, the Guardians uh, wanted Matt McGloin. Uh, St. Louis wanted Jordan Tamu. I mean, all these teams got the guys who they wanted, and really it was about how they evaluate evaluated them and how they felt they fit with their offenses. Right. So the, the quarterback the, needed to fit with the planned offense, which makes sense. Yeah, that's just part of team building 101. And we, we were able to do that in Houston, I think, as good as anybody 
with all the positions. That's always how I've felt about building a team is we need to have a specific criteria available uh, to actually fit guys into that. And I think we did a good job of that in Houston. Yeah, you, you, obviously you did. There was, there's no question about that. Houston was very successful at building a great team. Now, I've heard that the XFL was looking for a specific type of player. Now, what was that? Oh, I think there because the league was built as a little mm, – it was definitely innovative, but it was a, a kind of reinvention of football. I think they were always looking for the speed, the athleticism, but everybody's looking for that. I don't know that they were looking for a specific type of player as much as they were just looking for the best players. And and the XFL um, tried to involve people that have done this in the past, and I think you stand a better chance of, of finding those good players if you have some experienced people in, in, in front offices that, with these teams, and they were able to do that. And that, that helped put a good product on the field, both from a coaching standpoint and from a scouting standpoint. Um, they had some quality people involved. Yeah, so looking for the best players, which makes sense. Uh, you know that one of the biggest uh, uh, criticisms of the original XFL was the quality of play. In fact, uh, Dick Ebersol lamented the quality of play on the first game of their of the season. Of course, it went from there. So I think that was something that this XFL was really focused on avoiding. Yeah, I think they, they were definitely aware of that. And, and they did allow the teams to have ample time to, one, build your roster, but then, two, get them to come together. We had, in much the same fashion as NFL teams this year during the pandemic are doing, we had a couple weeks of conditioning, and we have two or three weeks of OTAs, which is really shorts and helmets. And really, we got to the original regular season in the XFL. We hadn't played a lot of football. Uh, there was really no contact. But we had spent five or six weeks in, in what now teams are calling training camp. So we had plenty of time to bring them together. And I thought June did a really good job with our guys of kind of curtailing the physical part, but yet bringing them together to try to semblance some way of, of playing football without getting people hurt in preseason. We did a good job of that. But to the league's credit, they gave us plenty of time to uh, build our teams and to prepare so that you're, you're right, the product would would be top quality uh, that first regular season game. And I think we did a pretty good job of that as a league, as a whole. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's The criticism of this league was uh, not found in, in respect or in, in, yeah. in comparison to the original XFL, which the criticism was uh, quite strong. Now, you're always making your team better in different ways. Now, I know of uh, one incident or in the first week of January when you're already in your training camp in Houston, the rosters are still fluid because you were you brought a running back by the name of James Butler into your camp. And he was in the Green Bay Airport returning from a workout with the Packers when he got the call. And he yeah. answered the call. Yep, no doubt. We, we kept grinding. Running back was not a position of strength for us when training camp started. So, we were able to add some of these guys on the fly in, in camp. And, and uh, James had been on a practice squad with the Raiders the last couple of years, but he was a guy that I had identified uh, early on in the process. And he just wasn't ready to pull the trigger on an XFL deal. But I think it's part of it's recruiting. You have to stay after these guys. But part of it is film is golden, right? They, the, the golden ticket for a player is film and you need to play to get on film so others can see you. And James at the right time was willing to do that and came to Houston and became a very productive player in the league. And 
I don't think he's re-signed in an NFL team yet, but to, uh, to me, it's a matter of time. He's an NFL running back, and we were lucky to get him at, like you said, that late process, uh, stage in the process. Yeah, he turned out to be a fantastic addition to your roster. Uh, one of, probably one of the biggest surprises for the XFL, or certainly for the Houston Roughnecks, right? Yeah, we had we actually added two running backs the same day, him and D'Angelo Henderson, both guys that came and became our two go-to running backs. And we got them late in the process. And again, part of that was, was the uh, the structure of how you could add guys to your team. There were different venues and different platforms we could get them on. And in this case, we ended up uh, putting in priority waiver claims for both of these guys and, and got them both on one day. So that definitely made a big difference in our team when we got the quality of our running backs that have built up a little bit. Yeah, it just goes to show, as we've, as you've pointed out, the the amount of talent, football talent that's out there is is quite remarkable. Yeah, and it's just a matter of fitting that talent in with the right opportunity and the right scheme so that their strengths can be accentuated, not their weaknesses. And I think June did a good job of that, as well as his staff. We did a good job of putting those guys in positions to where their strengths could be accentuated. And in James's case, in a one-back set with certain running skills involved, his skill set fit exactly with what June wanted to do. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of James Butler, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's a yeah, good player, good guy to be a fan of, good person too. Yeah, he's, he strikes me as a good person. I've actually interviewed him here. Uh, he was great. Uh, now you really believed in the XFL and, and the model for the love of football, didn't you? Yeah, without a doubt. It's, um, most of us in that league, um, had already experienced a lot of football life, right? And so we're there before the love of the game. We're not really there. For for a job or for money or any other reason. We just like the game and want to be around it. So, um, yes, there were a lot of us from a lot of teams in the same boat that uh, you're correct in that the love of the game brought us back into this venue, and it was exciting. It was fun. So I, would, I would do it again in a heartbeat with the same kind of people. Yeah, I hear that. The XFL is not gone, of course, as we know. The current XFL is owned by Danny Garcia, The Rock, and Redbird Capital, and they have said the XFL will come back. And there's just a few questions as to when this might happen, right? Yeah, I guess so. You know, there's a lot of rumors out there, that's for sure. I think it's good for the league. It's good for football that these owners did step up. Um, I, I don't have any idea what their plan is for their plan of attack. I think you could probably make a case for them if they could get their ducks lined up to even play later this fall, if they were able to bubble eight teams, which I think is a possibility, or who knows, maybe they wait till 2022 till the whole football ecosystem and landscape gets solidified uh, and then bring them, bring the XFL back. So I think all things are in play. Obviously the TV deals, the TV partners, their media partners, that's the biggest thing that they probably have to get settled. And again, I don't have any insight as to what they're going to do, but um, obviously they bought it for a reason because they think it's a successful operation. And, and I'm sure they're working hard to, to kind of put some uh, uh, a plan in place. Uh, I don't even think officially they've taken ownership of the league. I think the last thing I read, that was going to be August 21st. So hopefully something will be planned for them soon thereafter and, and they can go about their business as to, how they want the XFL to look uh, when they do come back. All these uh, event things will be revealed in due, due time, as we know. And uh, as you pointed out, August 21st is a, another hot milestone to the ownership uh, of the league. 
hopefully nothing stops them from going forward. Now, uh, the question I have about them coming back this fall, which is only a possibility, would mm-hmm. be how hard would it be to restart the XFL? For example, how quickly can a team be reconstituted? Well, I, I think it would depend on the rules and guidelines. If, if you were able to keep your roster and the available guys who ended your season uh, on your team, then you could pick up again with those guys. But the majority of the players that the XFL, at least the top-end players uh, that, that we added, didn't come until August and September when NFL teams made their final cuts. So you could add players at that point. If Let's say if you did decide to start a season – first of November, mid-November, you could probably add a similar quality player as they did last year. There's a lot of work that would have to be done ahead of time, but uh, and get in, you could probably get in a 10-game season before uh, the end of January, and uh, there's a window there. If some of these colleges uh, and, the, and the big universities have moved into the spring, or that's their plan, you might be able to get some TV windows uh, associated with a late fall type league. So who knows? It's all speculation now, but you could put a league together quickly if the right people that had the experience were involved. Of course, that goes without saying that they would have to rehire some of the, their best people back right. or hire completely different people, which may be a, a, a larger task. Whether they start a league up in the fall you, you think they would do it if it was lucrative, if they had a good broadcasting deal, right? Well, I think if TV now, for example, with Fox and ESPN losing the Pac-12, losing the Big Ten, there's some TV windows that are open now that some ad dollars that are, are you know, kind of went down the drain for those big networks. So we'll see how they handle that. But <clears throat> when there's a will, there's a way. And I definitely think there's a way to put something like that together. But again, there would have to be a lot of work done over the next 30 days or so to get that lined up. Yeah, I know uh, I know you've got some uh, some good insight about that. I uh, read an article on your website, Mueller Football, uh, your website for Mueller Football Advising, and I appreciate uh, what you uh, wrote there. It was actually quite uh, insightful. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And, yeah, that's been fun. It's a blog that I've kind of decided to write within our, my own uh, like camp, like you said, MuellerFootball.com. And and uh, the blog has been very well received, actually. A lot of people have, have kind of jumped on board and started to read a little bit. And, and there's no magic to it. I just kind of share my perspective of my 35 years in pro football in different ways. And sometimes it's a little different angle than people are used to reading or, or hearing. So it's been fun. Yeah, it's great. I've, uh, I'll go back to read some more off, off your site. It's actually quite good. Now, just aside, do you think the star power of The Rock is a factor in the success of the XFL now? Well, I think TV is out for entertainment dollars. That's what they do. They're making TV. And I do think The Rock being involved is definitely a, a, a big advantage. There's name recognition. There's people that he has a following with. The other thing is it gets underestimated a little bit is he's got a long track record of being a good businessman. I mean, this guy came from nothing. So he, he has a lot of the Vince McMahon qualities as far as being a promoter, being a marketer. And uh, with his partners, like you said, Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital, they have the making for what I think could be a solid foundation. Uh, just a matter of uh, putting it all together with some football people that, that have that knowledge uh, that can help them as entertainers and as marketers and business people come together. Yeah, for sure. You're absolutely right. And you know, the more the more that I learn about Danny Garcia and what she's done in her uh, career, the more I am impressed by her as well. 
Yeah, you know, and I don't have any background with any of them. I've met The Rock once uh, when I was the GM of the Dolphins. He's a Miami guy, so he came through the office one time. But, you know, I've just done a little bit of homework on them since they became uh, owners of the league. And you're right, they have uh, been very successful in their own right and very respected in a lot of avenues when it comes to business. So I think that's exciting for the league as a whole and and hopefully for football fans out there. Because, like I said initially, they, they, they wouldn't have bought it if they didn't think it had a future. Yeah, that's for sure. So uh, I have one more question for you, and this may be a stupid question, but if they <laughs> if they call you, are you going to return to the Roughnecks and the XFL? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I've been asked that a bunch of times lately, and and uh, I guess it depends on all the people that are involved. You know, you want to have a certain amount of confidence with with the people uh, that are involved in the project. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I do know this: June and I would love to be involved with the right setup. Uh, June is, is a proven commodity and we've kind of worked well together. So we have talked about that. So, you know, hopefully down the road that can happen. But again, there's just so many unknowns at this point. We enjoyed our time in Houston. It was awesome. The people there welcomed us and they had no reason to, and they did. And uh, it was a fun thing. We would love to recreate that. That's for sure. I'll take your answer as, uh, uh, as it is uh, for sure. I do hear that you would get together with if it was if it meant you could beat back together working with June Jones, you might definitely consider it, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Him and I worked well together. We've stayed in communication, and and again, I think really not only us but the rest of our staff. We had a lot of good people, and any time you have a chance at our age to work with these kind of people, it's more important than anything, right? It's the people you're with. The older we get, and and we had a good experience, right. Thanks, Randy. Now, uh, people can find you online on Twitter at Randy Mueller or on your website, Mueller Football Advising, MuellerFootball.com. Is that right? That's correct. And it's been fun to kind of communicate with a lot of people out there on social media, something I'm not very good at and hadn't been around before, but I've really enjoyed it. And and the consulting business has gone well, even in the pandemic time. So it's been a a good change of pace for me, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Randy. We'll be watching your Twitter, we'll watch your blog, and we'll be watching for the XFL to come back. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. I'd like to welcome Greg Parks and Mike Mitchell to the podcast. Uh, Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com team reporter for the Tampa Bay Vipers, he is also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, PWTorch.com. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me, Mark. And uh, I'd also like to welcome Mike Mitchell. Not many of you know Mike for his insightful articles about the XFL uh, on XFL Board and XFL News Hub and as an XFLboard.com team reporter for the New York Guardians. Welcome, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mark. Now, the biggest news of the late is how the XFL has new owners, and we expected the XFL to be sold. And there are new owners in The Rock, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital. Now, what do you think? Will the new owners be good for the XFL, Greg? I think it that's a strong possibility. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at the rumors of who were out there as potential buyers of the league, I think either Fox Sports or ESPN probably would have been the best as far as 
you know, and I'm looking at the long-term future of the XFL. Uh, I think that's what a lot of XFL fans are looking at when they're looking at the viability of new ownership. So just simply because either Fox Sports or ESPN would guarantee uh, the league a very visible presence on television, I think they probably would have been the best. But in that, you know, if that's 1A, I think 1B would be The Rock, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital. Uh, Just because of the name value and name recognition that The Rock has, um, you know, for his wrestling ties, for obviously a, a huge movie star, and nobody has a negative word to say about the guy. So I think coming at this from a uh, forming positive relationships with the fan base just by virtue of that name recognition is huge. And I think him and Danny Garcia, their production company, they are familiar with uh, television deals. They are familiar with negotiating with television networks. So I don't think it's going to be a foreign concept for them to step into that territory. Uh, Redbird Capital is flush with money. Now, we don't know how much that this ownership group is willing to put up. Vince McMahon, when he came out to reestablish the XFL, basically said right off the bat, look, this is how much I'm willing to put up for the first three years. We have not seen a similar uh, guarantee or a number figure from this group yet. So we'll have to see. But I don't think that should be a tremendous concern to fans, uh, whether or not they can afford to run the league. So. Again, aside from having one of the major networks as a buyer, I think this is probably the the second best ownership group that you could put together as far as getting people excited about XFL 3.0. I think to to follow up on what Greg said, because I think he hit on all the key points there, especially when it comes to the uh, business aspect and the entertainment aspect, obviously – the grand uh, dream would have been for one of the big networks to buy the league. But if you're looking at it from an independent standpoint, I don't think anyone is better at purchasing the league than the the rock and Danny Garcia in terms of the cachet, which Greg brought up there. Uh, You know, the big part of it is Danny Garcia being and the rock being big fans of the product and the concept. Mm -hmm. And I think the rocks connection to pro athletes, football athletes, entertainers, and especially being a former football player himself you know, the cachet is there and um, the spiritual connection uh, that Danny Garcia and The Rock have towards the XFL is there. So I think that's very important. If an anonymous group had bought, investment group had bought the league, I think it would be very easy for it to still be ignored. It's going to be hard to ignore it now with mm-hmm. uh, Danny Garcia and The Rock involved. And and not only are The Rock and Danny Garcia going to attract a lot of fans just because, uh, you know, again, they're out there with The with the Rock's movies, his TV shows, Titan Games on NBC. Uh, he's a very visible figure in entertainment, so it's going to gain a lot of interest for fans. But also, you had a lot of former coaches and players or potential coaches and players, uh, front office staff, who were watching this bankruptcy with a keen eye. And I think a right. lot of people replied, with, you know, when people would ask, you know, are you going to be interested in the XFL? A lot of them sort of fell back on that. Well, it depends on who buys it, um, because if there was a, a, a group that, you know, may not have had the positive image that The Rock brings with him, people might right. have shied away from it and said, you know, I, I don't really I'm not interested in being involved with these people, you know, but right. you're already seeing a lot of players 
a lot of staff, uh, potential staff, uh, potential coaches who, I mean, who doesn't want to be involved in a project with The Rock? Like, who doesn't want to rub right. elbows with that guy? So, you know, not only from just a, a visibility standpoint and getting the XFL out there and getting it reestablished through The Rock and through Danny Garcia and their production company, but also to attract the best names in right. the business in those uh, positions, I think that's very important, and they bring a lot of cachet to that as well. Yeah, and to borrow a term that Greg is familiar with, the XFL went babyface. Yeah. Because you can <laughs> ar- you can argue that Vince McMahon, love him or hate him, has quite a few detractors. And The Rock is, like, if you're going to use that term, babyface, which is beloved, um, he, The Rock is someone that is beloved in the entertainment and the sports community. So the XFL, you know, for for all of its positives, positives that they had, some of the warts were its association, I hate to say it, with Vince McMahon because there are a lot of people that are, you know, not huge fans of him. So I think The Rock baby faces the league, for lack of a better term. Yeah, you know, when I heard uh, the the results that The Rock was involved in the purchase of the XFL, I basically said, whoa, whoa, what? Like, I never thought about The Rock, <laughs> let alone Danny Garcia, somebody who I uh, wasn't that aware of until this happened. But now I've had a look at... Uh, her background, and I think that she's probably perfect for this league. Uh, and I, I think that the new owners will be good for the XFL, and I, I really hope that uh, it comes to uh, that the league will return to play. Now, the XFL was purchased for only $15 million, which was a price tag that I didn't think would win the day. Win the day. But was this a bargain, or did the league's liabilities make the purchase price much larger? I think it's a bargain for the initial price, but a big thing that people have to look into or think about with this is the $15 million is really just buy-in money because anytime you make a a commitment to start and run and operate a pro sports league, especially pro football, you're committing to investing hundreds of millions of dollars. So um, I I wasn't surprised at the lack of uh, market of buyers for the league because of the simple fact that we're living in a pandemic world. And it's probably, you could argue that this is the most difficult time to run a uh, pro sports league in history. I mean, this is right now it's uh, even established leagues are having their issues trying to get their footing and hope fingers crossed, trying to hope that they can get to the finish line like the NFL and others. So um, the $15 million is low to purchase an entire league, but considering the circumstances, I'm not surprised by that price. But like I said, um, overall, it's going to take a lot of money for um, the new ownership group for them to invest in the league for it to be a success. Yeah, you know, you got to figure that the league had 20 million plus in liabilities that would add on top of the 15 million plus the hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that it would take to run the league into the future. So, 15 million is sort of shocking at first, but when you take a step back and you realize just how much money it's going to take to run the league, then you're like, oh, well, yeah, 15 million, I guess you're just, I guess for the physical assets and and for some of the, you know, we don't know what all uh, was purchased in this bankruptcy, but you have to figure that there's some contracts that are in there with sponsors and, and things like that that are going to be worth something to the new owners. And, you know, the other thing is this league is not going to get off the ground without a TV contract, which those were Mm -hmm. not, um, although there's still some legal wrangling going on, those were 
probably not going to be part of the deal, the Fox Sports and the ESPN TV deal. So I think if you would have saw them be a part of the deal, which would guarantee the league being on television, you might have seen it go for a little more, even though the contracts aren't paying contracts in terms of, you know, they're not paying hundreds of millions of dollars to the XFL. They're just covering production costs. So the fact that, you know, you're, you're buying this league without any kind of television to put it on. You're kind of putting that on your own shoulders as the buyer to go out there and to try to negotiate in a pandemic world, in a world where schedules are up in the air into the future because you don't know what you know college football is going to look like and you don't know what college basketball is going to look like. You don't know the networks don't know what openings they're going to have in the future so you know that there is a lot of risk associated with this purchase and i think that's why you saw it at 15 million yeah and part of the reason why the xfl filed for bankruptcy was the uncertainty i mean the league did not want to spend millions upon millions of dollars commit millions upon millions of dollars to continue to run the league if there was uncertainty as to when it would be able to launch again so you know, they you know, that's why Vince McMahon and his board of uh, directors and advisors suggested that he file for bankruptcy, Chapter 11. And because there was no guarantee that the league could get back up and running even in the spring. So that proposed the problem of investing millions of dollars in a product where you're unable to sell tickets or make money. So um, there, there are a lot of variables involved in this and a lot of them involve business. So the 15 million dollar price tag, it's it's low for an entire league, but it's understandable. Vince McMahon was, uh, in his investment uh, in the XFL, he did point out that he was uh, willing to lose money in the first two years of the of the league, or that's what they projected. Uh, so he expected it to be a money loss deal until the league got its footing. Right. So I don't expect that has changed too much. It's probably going to be a money losing. Uh, venture. The problem is if you have if your revenue streams are completely cut off, if you're willing to spend X, if you're willing to spend X and lose X, but you're not getting any Y, uh, there's going to be no Z. So that's so that's kind of like the conundrum that the the XFL faced. That's why they filed for Chapter 11 is their revenue stream was completely cut off. The thing they would have needed to keep funding the league moving forward. And then the uncertainty of whether they would have to do that for two more years was why the plug was pulled out. Yeah, of course. Now, that the situation hasn't changed much. So the new owners need to have deep pockets. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Now, how deep are the new owners' pockets? And how are they deep enough? What do you think, Greg? Uh, well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that the pockets are deep enough. It's just a matter of how much are they willing to spend and how much are they banking on getting back and how quickly. So, you know, I was reading uh, the Wrestling Observer the other day uh, from last week, and and Dave Meltzer made it a point, and I don't think I'd seen this reported anywhere else, that uh, this group is not going to be willing to to lose the amount of money over the period of time that Vince McMahon was willing to lose uh, when he brought the league back. So they're they're looking to get, I mean, a paying TV contract with this first deal, and that's something that the XFL didn't even get when it restarted. Now – the one thing the league has going for it is it's got a history now because when the XFL was brought back, uh, the the last time the XFL was on the air was, you know, 20 years ago. So you can't really look at that as it was a completely different product. It's apples to oranges comparison based on the ratings. 
with the XFL 3.0, you can kind of go back to 2.0 and say, okay, these were the ratings. This is the the area that we can expect to get with our numbers. So is that enough now to renegotiate and get a paying contract? Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think, you know, if Fox Sports and ESPN are fighting so hard for their contracts, which just covered production costs, to not be in the bankruptcy, I don't think you'll see them or potentially any other networks want to renegotiate and then pay more money than they would have if their contract was involved right. in bankruptcy. So, you know, I, I, I hope that the contacts that The Rock has in Hollywood and uh, Danny Garcia has with production can land the XFL a, a sweet television deal for the uh, reboot of a reboot. I don't have a lot of confidence that's going to be the case, but you know, the, this landscape of sports television in the pandemic era is still a, a lot of a mystery. You know, um, I don't know. It's going to be, you know, how much have networks lost? So then how much are they willing to dole out for a, a new product versus how desperate are they for programming? And what are the what's what are things going to look like in February when um, one would presume the XFL would try to kick off again, if at all possible? So, uh, you know, Mark, I remember when I did the podcast for the first time back last September or October. And then, you know, we would talk about some things and but we would, you know, couch it in the terms of there's still a lot we don't know. Well, here we are a year later, and there's even more that we don't know when we're talking. So, I mean, we're all in a tough spot here just because there are so many variables. There's so many things up in the air, pandemic-related, not pandemic-related. We don't know a lot about what the owners, what they're looking at in terms of changes, what they're looking at in terms of even when they want to kick off. You know, we have a few interviews from Danny Garcia, but that's really about it. So there's just so much we don't know. A big part of it is even if you run on a tight budget and use cost-effective measures, which the XFL did, if you look at their player salaries, everything was, you know, a starting point that was supposed to build to salaries going up and expenses going up once the revenue streams increased. Even if you run a tight budget, there's no getting around uh, insurance. There's no getting around employee salaries, venue rentals, player and coach salaries, travel expenses, production expenses. And as you mentioned, you know, if you're not getting a TV deal, that brings money into the league, that brings revenue into the league, then you're going to the, the good thing about it is Danny Garcia and the rock um, through their company, through seven bucks, they uh, are very good at leveraging multi-platform. So they might have to leverage deals with streaming companies. They might have to do side deals with the XFL to create additional revenue streams. That might be a, this model that they have of the XFL might extend into streaming services, into documentaries, into other venues, to in order to create uh, more profit streams for the league. And they're prob- they might have to do that to offset whatever expenses they're going to need uh, to pay for productions and to offset the fact that they may not have uh, a lucrative TV deal on the outset. So the Wrestling Observer may mention that, you know, they're not looking to spend as much money as Vince McMahon. But the truth, truth be told, Vince McMahon's business plan in the early stages they weren't paying players millions of dollars and they were cutting costs by having a centralized training camp in, in one location. And the, the league had a sound business plan. Obviously, they got killed by the pandemic. So whether the new owners want to or not, those expenses are still going to be there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's going to be expensive. We don't know how expensive. Now, I asked the question, how deep are the new owners pockets? Maybe I should have asked how deep are the new owners influence? Because it might be their influence 
that wins the day and uh, makes the deals that they need to make it uh, lucrative. Now, Mike, I've heard that Danny Garcia is an XFL fan. Uh, she is. She's a huge fan, and she wanted in on the ground floor last year when the XFL was launching. I think it's important that someone has a real connection to the league that 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 has bought it, and that's what you have in Danny Garcia and The Rock, and uh, that's important. That's extremely important. As I mentioned earlier, you don't want an anonymous investment group that has no emotional attachment to the league and doesn't understand what it meant to football fans who followed it. So uh, Danny being a huge fan is is great for the league because she knows exactly what made the league work and why it is valuable. And not only that, but for fans of the league, it's sort of a, a wink and a nod that they're not going to change a lot about the league. You know, exactly. if you had a third party unaffiliated, unattached to what the league had done, they may come in with all these grandiose ideas of how to change the gameplay, how to, you know, make the XFL, you know, very different than it was in 2.0. And based on a lot of the comments she's made so far, that's not necessarily going to happen. A lot of the, the comments that she's made have, you know, more of the production side of it, um, the technical side of it, as far as, us getting a peek at the the halftime and the coaches, a lot of the broadcast technology that we saw utilized by Fox Sports and ESPN. I think that's where she would look to improve things a little bit, not completely a wholesale change, but just tweaks here and there to make it better and, and maybe not touching so much the on-field play, which, you know, for me as a fan, I think that's, that's great news. I've become a, a fan of Danny Garcia in the last couple of weeks, and as I pointed out, I was kind of unaware of what she had done in her life. And now that I've heard that and read about it, I see that she is a smart business person. And uh, it's it's kind of exciting that the XFL is in her hands. And of course, The Rock. Uh, I can't say anything bad about The Rock, and because well, his fan. His fan base would kill me if I did. Uh, but everybody loves The Rock, and I and I love The Rock, so Rock's great. You know, they should maybe uh, – you know how with the XFL, the, the X doesn't mean anything. Well, I and I'm joking now. I said they should make the X mean The Rock. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you connect that, but it should mean The Rock. I, I think he'll be visible enough throughout the process of restarting the league to where there there will be pretty good. I mean, if you were to ask casual sports fans, by the time the XFL ramps up again, um, I think there's going to be a pretty solid association among sports fans between The Rock and the XFL. I think they're going to try, uh, and I don't have any inside knowledge of this, just kind of common sense tells you that when you have a star that crosses all kinds of platforms that The Rock does, and, and you're starting... Uh, a brand with him behind it, you're going to want him put him front and center representing that brand. Yeah. You know, that's exciting uh, to hear about that. Now, of course the new owners was a surprise and I was expecting uh, maybe some other uh, entities to buy the XFL. So, uh, and, and Greg, what do you think happened to all the other buyers on this auction? Yeah, there were reports that there were 20, 30, I think there was even one report as many as 40 um, groups or people who had signed confidentiality agreements to get a look at the XFL's assets, to get a look at its financials and things like that. Um, obviously, w with the Garcia-Johnson-Redbird Capital bid being the only uh, only um, 
one that that counted really uh you have to look at all the others and say you know there were 29 to 39 other people who looked at this and just didn't didn't make a bid so i think that's concerning to a certain extent um but again you know there to me this is a lot more difficult getting this xfl up and running and being successful with it there are going to be a lot more roadblocks than there was when Vince McMahon brought it back. And there are going to be a lot of people who don't want to hear that, <laughs> you know, but that's, I mean, that's the reality. When, when Vince brought it back, there were a lot of people who were skeptical, but there were also a lot of people who understood his business plan, that he wanted to get a paying TV contract that the networks were, were handing out um, to major sports franchises. And you're like, ah, you know, that kind of makes sense. The bubble hasn't burst yet on that. Uh, but that's a long time ago in, in both time and space, I guess. Um, there are a lot more obstacles to the XFL coming back today and being successful than there was. So I think that's a reason that a lot of people kind of looked at it and said, you know, uh, interesting, but maybe not ready to make that leap yet. Yeah, there isn't much to add to what Greg already said. He hit on all the, all the strong points there. So, you know, obviously there are over two dozen companies that looked into the league's assets. And because we're currently in the pandemic and all the issues that are entailed with that, they decided to pass. I think you're right about that, obviously. And I just had a a strange thought that I wonder what would have happened if there was no buyers. Uh, Let's not think about that uh, because it didn't happen. Now, uh, Mike, we haven't heard anything about how Vince McMahon feels about the result of the sale and who bought it. And I don't expect to hear anything, but how do you think he's taking this? You know, secretly, I got to think he has to be happy that his creation and vision is staying alive. The fact that the new owners are not renaming the league is a good sign for McMahon. You could have had a new ownership group that could have come in and, you know, changed everything, as Greg pointed out earlier, renamed the league, changed a lot of its concepts, changed uh, for the love of football slogan and all that. So, uh, you know, in a way, you know, the creditors won't like to hear this and the conspiracy theorists may love this, but the league in a way is staying in the family. It may not be an immediate family of Vince McMahon, but the Rock and Danny Garcia are an extended family of him. So he's got to secretly be happy that it's going to two very capable people that he has a close relationship with and that he respects. And his vision is going to be bittersweet for him. If The Rock and Danny Garcia are able to make the XFL a success without him, there'll be a bittersweet feeling for Vince McMahon to see his creation make it, but without him on board for it. But uh, he may not publicly come out and say it because there's a lot of legal issues and there's a lot of um, – Strong contention that Vince McMahon kind of is trying to steer the sale of the XFL to someone he knows. But um, maybe somewhere down the line, Vince McMahon will tip his hat to to Danny and uh, and to Dwayne. Vince McMahon walked so The Rock and uh, Danny Garcia could run, um, <laughs> exactly. in, in a manner of speaking. So, yeah, I think that, you know, if he has a real attachment to the XFL... Um, and, and it's pretty clear he does to a certain extent by the fact that he brought it back, um, then I think he's probably pleased for a lot of the reasons Mike said, that it's going to someone who uh, can really take advantage of a lot of the, the revenue streams that might be out there, whether it's streaming, whether it's you know uh, whatever the case may be, but also um, to, to people that he knows and that he likely trusts, 
with the league that they're and they're not going to change a lot about it. So I think that's confirmation or it should be confirmation to him that he got a lot right. And it, just the timing was off. Um, you know, whether or not he's going to be involved at some point in any capacity, I really doubt. You know, Vince McMahon has said a number of times that, that he's kind of a lone wolf and he likes to work alone. And I know Danny Garcia has said that she, you know, tried to get in on, on the reboot of the XFL and there didn't seem to be any interest from Vince McMahon. I mean, it kind of boggles your mind how, you know, I know that Vince is a media mogul himself, but to not be interested to take in, you know, the the different avenues that, Garcia and her production capabilities uh, would be able to open up is kind of mind boggling. So, uh, you know, he, I don't know if he would want to be sort of a fourth wheel in, in any, in any respect, whether it's um, monetarily, whether it's, you know, lending any kind of advice or a guide or anything like that. I don't know. I think he's probably, once he's done with something, he's done with it. And I think that's kind of, my suspicion on, on how he's feeling about it now, obviously with uh, WWE, um, you know, he's got trying to navigate the pandemic and, and trying to find ways to bring crowds back in some fashion, uh, trying to stem the tide as far as the ratings that are sinking on WWE programming. I think that's where a lot of his focus is right now. Yeah, and you can see, you know, you can say what you want about Vince McMahon, but you can see the value and the respect that he had from the networks and Disney and Fox that they, you know, if they, if Vince McMahon wasn't part of a rebooted XFL, a reconstituted XFL, uh, they were hedging their bets. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to move forward if Vince wasn't a part of it. That's how much faith they have in him as a business person. So, you know, I know there are a lot of people out there that have uh, negative views of Vince McMahon, especially in the current present day, but... You can see Vince McMahon's value to the league just by how Disney and Fox responded to the XFL selling to someone else. I think if the league had sold to someone who is adversarial to McMahon, uh, like the Khan family or, or, or anyone else, maybe the Ebersols, I think, um, and decided to reboot the XFL or strip the name or uh, take away his vision and, uh, and or something like that, then I think there would have been an issue for Vince. I think he's secretly smiling but behind closed doors so nobody sees <laughs> i picture him smiling about it uh in uh, uh gently because he's probably not happy about the how things ended up with the xfl because it was his baby we all know that but uh i think he might be happy that it is where it is right now and and maybe hoping that it will actually succeed because it it's still i'm sure it's still his baby despite the fact someone else might be uh, owning it. Now, Danny Garcia hinted they may hire back some former XFL employees. Now, who do you think they're talking about? Well, you know, I look at starting with the team presidents, who did just a fantastic job, regardless of the attendance in some places. They, they did a great job of establishing roots in that community in just one year. So I think it, in this time, especially if they're trying to get back uh, and rush back in any way that it's important to hire people who know that community to try to reinvest right. in it. And obviously those team presidents, the staffs that worked under the team president in those cities, they're going to know best for that city. So um, I think it would give the, the local people too a lot of, a lot more confidence um, that they're not bringing in just a, a wholesale new staff. Um, that these are people who've worked in that community, who've, who've created relationships with individuals and with businesses in that community, cultivated sponsorships in that community. Um, so I think that's going to be huge. I think that's 
one uh, aspect that she's looking to, she may be looking to bring back. Uh, there are a number of head coaches who said that they would be interested in returning to work. So, you know, coaching staffs, I think would be really cool to see. Um, obviously I would like personally to see the XFL as a, whole but also at the team level as similar as it can be to what it was in 2020 just for continuity's sake i'm big on continuity so i I would really like to see that um, from the players to the coaches to to the community members um working with the the local staff and also you know the xfl league office we have to think about jeffrey pollock is obviously staying on uh, but there are others who uh, worked in the office and maybe uh you know created partnerships with other businesses um, with the XFL that could be valuable to uh, the new XFL, just because, you know, I think it's just a lot easier to bring people in who uh, already know the business and who already know the business plan and who already know what they're selling, as opposed to having to bring in new people and train them into, you know, what this business is all about. So, uh, I think it would behoove the new owners to bring back as many people as are willing to come back at the city team level, but also at the league level. You know, to follow up on that, if you're looking to make the smoothest transition possible, recapture what the XFL had, and you have designs of potentially launching in the near future, then it only makes sense to have the key orchestrators to get that ship sailing again. You don't want to lose what you had, and it's going to be a huge celebration when a lot of these markets come back to life, so to speak. And, you know, Greg mentioned a few of the names there. Obviously, when we talk about the team presidents, the individual that was responsible for hiring all the team presidents was Jeffrey Pollack. So mm-hmm. if you want to get the ship back on board, he's the guy to go to. And when you look at the, some of the league's best attributes, it was their league rules, their innovation, the research and development that went into it. It's hard to overlook someone like Director of Football Operations Sam Schwartzstein, who did a tremendous yeah. job. On that Absolutely. front. And then there's so many other, you know, people that are not, you know, we can bring up the coaches and everybody else, but there's so many other people like Stephanie Rudnick, who did a tremendous job with communications for the league and dealing with the media and helping forge relationships with the media. And people like, you know, someone like Stephanie is a unsung hero in uh, in how, how great the XFL was run and operated. So those are just some people like if it was up to me that would be back on board immediately. Um, but I think it's very important that you retain these relationships and in order for the XFL to be strong when it reboots. And, um, and I think that is very important. You know, I think there is something to be said for, for new ownership, bringing in kind of their people. You know, we see that a lot when um, companies get taken over by new ownership and, you know, just to get a fresh set of eyes, I think there's value in that too. Um, But, you know, I think that the good thing, uh, about Danny Garcia is she was a fan. So right. what whatever the league did to hook her worked. So why would you not look back look to bring back the people who got you in as a fan? Because obviously they did a good enough job to hook you to the point where you're willing to invest potentially hundreds of millions of dollars into this company. So, you know, again, her being a fan is a really good sign for the potential of people who worked in XFL 2.0 being brought back. Right. And this isn't comparable to um, the typical mergers that you see in business. Oftentimes what you see is you'll see a company take over another company. And in the beginning, there's that transition phase where they're welcomed onto the ship by the people that were on it when it was sinking. And then within short time, they throw off those people that help them transition. I don't think we're going to see that. Because that's happened no. before Time Warner, Ted, uh, Ted Turner and all that. So um, I don't think we're going to see that. And I think it's important to 
keep the strong points of the XFL, what they had going for them alive. And the key to that, well, key to that is the people, the presidents like the Kurt Hunzikers and all them. So um, I, I think we'll see a good number of, of those quality uh, executives, professionals uh, still with the XFL. I agree with you guys. They're probably going to be asking uh, a lot of people to return. Now, the, the questions, uh, for example, Jeffrey Pollack has uh, said to me that he is willing to return, but he hasn't been asked yet. And I believe that there's a date of 21st of August when when the sale is completed. So we, probably, we might see some of that rehiring or, or, or confirming of uh, the staff after that date, I think. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think that's kind of putting things on pause for the moment. Now, the other thing is some of the presidents, uh, I won't say all and I won't mention their names, but some of them are quite bitter uh, about what happened. So uh, I, I predict it wouldn't be hard for Danny Garcia and uh, Redbird and, and The Rock to convince them to come back uh, under new ownership. So there's that. And the other thing that I know of is when you ask somebody if they would go back, if they were asked, one of the responses that you get is, well, it depends on who else goes back. So, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, those decisions would be made by the individuals if they are asked to return. But I think most importantly, somebody that we haven't really talked about is what are the chances of Oliver Luck returning? That's the million dollar question. You know, excluding all the legal issues that are going on, which are now separate from the XFL, it's really a Luck McMahon issue. Um, the real question is, does Oliver Luck want to do it again? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, because it's an extremely difficult task. He put his heart and soul into it. He um, he built the league up from scratch. He was the, the league's first major hire on the football and business end, if you want to look at it that way as well. So whether or not he'd want to, obviously Vince McMahon's out of the equation, but whether or not he would want to commit himself again to being the front man, well, this, in this case with the rock around, he wouldn't necessarily be the front man, but to run the entire football operation again. I think that would be very difficult for him to say yes to that. It would take a lot of convincing. These leagues, there are no guarantees with it. You know, there no guarantees they'll succeed or thrive over the long uh, course of time. So I don't know if I'll, I don't know if Oliver would would be willing, emotionally, spiritually, to go on that journey again. Just the way things ended with the XFL, and I know the new XFL has nothing to do with Vince McMahon, but just the way things ended, I think it would be hard for him to. Again, like Mike said, mentally and emotionally kind of recharge himself to to go at it again. Um, that being said, you know, if you were to ask me to make a list of former XFL employees who I think are the most important to return to the league, one through 49 would be Oliver Locke and then 50 would be the second place. I mean, and that's how important I think he was to the success of XFL 2.0. And how, if I were the owners, I would be knocking down his door 12.01 a.m. on the 21st of August or whatever, you know, whenever the the court approves one minute later, I'd be calling him. I I mean, that's how important I think he was to the XFL and how important he could be going forward. Part of that is just because, you know, his body of work speaks for itself as far as what he did with the XFL, who he hired, the people that he surrounded himself with. But also that is a position more so than any other position in the league that is going to be the toughest to fill because you need someone who has ties to the NFL, 
to, you know, talk to coaches and talk to and can network with, you know, player agents. You need someone who has ties to the college game so you can try to influence college coaches and so you can reach out to potential college player agents and get college players uh, to come into the league as as they wanted to do. And, you know, you need to have a business acumen. You need to have a background in, in so many things. And Oliver Luck had that. You know, he had those connections. He was athletic director uh, at West Virginia and, and all these other places. And, you know, he led the NCAA. So he had the resume needed and it paid off. But there are not a lot of people with the resumes of an Oliver Luck who can sure. step into that position and touch on everything that that position needs to touch on. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe the new owners will um, shrink that position a little bit. Maybe it won't have as many branches touching as many aspects of business and football operations as commissioner did under Vince McMahon. Um, But if that position is going to stay the same, it's going to be hard to find someone with the qualifications of Oliver Locke. Not only that, but someone who is willing to jump in with a league that has a very uncertain future. You know, you know, to follow up on what Greg said, you know, notwithstanding any issues that Vince McMahon had with Oliver Locke's uh, job performance during his Reign as commissioner in the XFL. It took the league six months to hire commissioner of the quality of Oliver Luck. And so I I really believe, and call me crazy, I thought Oliver Luck's trajectory as the XFL CEO and commissioner was going to lead to him one day being the commissioner of the NFL. That's how how highly I thought of Luck. And if the XFL had succeeded, I think that would have been the next step for Oliver Luck. That's how good of an executive and football person he is, that he's good enough to be the commissioner of the biggest league in this on this planet so um i i thought i thought he did a tremendous job it's just a question of whether or not he would want to be back and to get back to the original question do i think he'll be back you're reading a lot of stories about the xfl that are saying you know oliver luck is unlikely to be back and there's no it's i don't know if it's speculation i don't know if they're getting this information on background but there's enough of a smoke there to where, you know, they're throwing it in there for a reason. So uh, I don't think he's going to be back, but I really wish he would because I I would give me a lot more confidence in the league going forward if he was to return. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think Oliver Luck should be back. Uh, I don't don't have any expectations for sure that he will be. Uh, I'd like to say to raise a glass to Oliver Luck and what he did for the XFL because without him, it wouldn't be where it is. Uh, the success-wise that it had. Uh, certainly, uh, the other thing I wonder is how, you know, I never expected Vince McMahon to be such so uh, behind the scenes with the XFL, and he was. So uh, Oliver Luck was the front man, mm-hmm. and McMahon was largely behind the scenes. And I'm wondering if that was something that McMahon didn't actually like to do. Vince McMahon has a long history, and Greg can probably speak on this better than I could, but he has a long history of, you know, having his right wing uh, executives and people that are attached to the hip to him. So even if you're in a position like Oliver Luck was, he had to report to Vince. So and Vince's relationship sometimes with his top executives can be volatile if you, you know, if you don't live up to the performance or what he's looking for. Um, it can create a contentious situation. So we kind of saw that a little bit with some of the reports that came out between uh, yeah. Vince and Oliver. So, um, 
Yeah, it does. It doesn't shock me that that developed because that's always been a possibility with Vince McMahon. After all, this was his property. You know, this is what mm-hmm. he put everything into to make work. So his money, his ball. And uh, so, you know, he wanted to make sure in this case, his quarterback, Oliver Luck, former quarterback himself, was, you know, doing all the right things that were pleasing to him. It's not easy to work for Vince McMahon. Um, and, you know, we, we saw that develop, especially if you're coming from a completely different field. You know, Oliver Luck is coming from, you know, sports and things like that. It, it's very different than the cocoon that Vince McMahon has created in WWE. It, it's a very different work environment than almost anywhere else. Um, and I think that's why with the first XFL back in 2001, you saw um, a lot of WWE crossover, you know, Basil DeVito, who had been with the WWF for years, was the president of the XFL. You had people in top positions in the XFL who either had worked for Vince for a while and, and understood how to work with him um, or, or things like that. So, yeah, it, it, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that things broke down the way they had because it's, it's kind of a history of, of working with Vince, but it makes it no less disappointing. So we're wondering about uh, Luck coming back and others coming back. And uh, the other entity that we haven't talked about yet is the players. I mean, uh, heaven forbid, I felt so bad for those players when they were uh, cut loose. And I know a lot of them are waiting for something to happen and to have a place to play, basically. Now, Greg follows players, so I'm going to ask Greg this question. (laughs) Now, XFL 2.0 worked really hard to put the best players on the field. That was one of their missions, and they succeeded. Now, does XFL 3.0 need to work just as hard to do the same? Oh, absolutely. And and we're in a position where we don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, A lot of it's going to depend on when the XFL starts up again. Uh, whether or not they can start up soon enough to take advantage of college football that won't happen in the fall for some conferences and may not happen in the spring. Uh, there are going to be players who, uh, you know, could dwarf the number of last year, which was just one Kenny Robinson, a college eligible player who played in the XFL. Those numbers could dwarf that if they are able to get started quickly. And I know that's been one of the main arguments for starting up either in the fall or um, the spring um, for the XFL is to take advantage of, of those players and those real quality players who could be drafted by NFL teams. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of players who played last year. We didn't see the exodus into the NFL that we thought there was potential for as far as XFL players moving on to the NFL. Some of the biggest names, PJ Walker, Jordan Tayamu obviously did, but, you know, a guy like Cam Phillips, who was in the conversation for MVP at the time, um, still hasn't signed with any NFL team. And a lot of that is pandemic related. A lot of that is just the, the roster numbers. You know, they're carrying 80 into camp this year instead of 90. So I think teams are a little hesitant to go outside their comfort zone with bringing players in. And that's going to result in a lot of XFL players who maybe could have found homes in the NFL this fall who may end up being back uh, for another cup of coffee with the XFL. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, just the way the rosters are being composed in training camp, um, there's going to be an opportunity for more quality players even uh, than last year being on the radar of the XFL. Now, the downside is that, that uh, practice squads have increased from 10 to 16. So you do six times 32, and that's the number of players who would have been normally available to the XFL who will be uh, under NFL umbrellas. So, um, there, there is going to be an opportunity for the XFL, I think, somewhere along the way to take advantage 
of the quality of players who are out there just as they did uh, last year. You know, the one thing we brought up here on this show and I've written about in the past is that there's, you know, plenty of football talent out there. But one thing I brought up in the past was I always felt that the first year of the XFL, the talent level was going to be good. But over time, as the league developed and gained more credibility, that the talent base would improve. Now, obviously, with the XFL 3.0 coming into play, that's going to be a reboot in a sense. So they kind of like you have to start that process all over again, even though there are over 400 XFL players that did not latch latch on to CFL rosters or NFL rosters. And, you know, the first and foremost will be protecting the athletes in today's environment. That's going to come first. But second, you know, there is an opening and a pathway to acquiring more talent than they did in 2020. That depends on a lot of different uh, aspects, how much the league is willing to spend for players. But obviously the college player part of it, which we saw with Kenny Robinson, who, you know, joined the XFL, he got paid to play in it and then got drafted in the NFL was a precursor to what the league was planning in terms of recruiting more college players in the future was going to be a gradual evolution. It wasn't going to be a full scale. Let's attack all high school seniors and college sophomores and freshmen, et cetera, et cetera. But Kenny Robinson was setting an example for more college players to follow. So that could be an area in the future that the XFL explores more extensively. And Kenny Robinson is an example for college players to join in. So you couple that with the, you know, this has been a limited, uh, time frame for players to actually make a good impression as greg was mentioning 90 players cut down to 80 in the nfl because of the pandemic and everything else so uh there's a lot of players out there that are going to consider the xfl in the future with the rock attached and everything else it depends on the league's exposure and the money they're willing to commit to players and and one thing that the xfl can do to bring down expenses is if you remember the original XFL had a, a 45-man active roster, and I think they had eight on the practice squad, something like that. No, it was a 45-man total, I think, and only 38 were active on game day, something to that effect. Right. Um, whereas the XFL, uh, this most recent uh, incarnation, had 52-man rosters, plus they had a full team nine. Um, so if the XFL and the people in charge are looking to cut costs, I would look at, and I know this isn't going to be popular because, you know, we want to fight for our players as much as possible. I mean, that's the whole point of the XFL is to get that exposure. But, uh, you know, cutting down from 52 to 45 each roster, uh, cutting Team 9 is, is a, um, you know, potential ways that uh, the league could save money because we, we want this to be a long-term project. So in order to do that, there's going to have to be some cost-cutting measures somewhere along the way. And the other thing from just a personnel standpoint that we've got to keep in mind is the psyche of these football players. Because a lot of them went to the AAF in 2019 and their season ended, they went bankrupt. They came to the XFL in 2020, season ended early, went bankrupt. Are those players going to be willing to do it again? You know, are they willing to kind of stick their neck out there again um, with the uncertainty? You know, now you add the pandemic into it. And is the XFL, if they play in the spring, going to be able to create a situation to keep these players safe to their satisfaction? Remember, there's no players association in the XFL. So there's no negotiating between the league and the players association on how to keep the players safe. It's going to be a take it or leave it scenario for these players. So you've got a lot of them now, now that are, you know, um, who've been through the AAF, who've been through the XFL, and are they going to want to stick their neck out there for another league uh, that has a very high risk factor or a very high bust factor, I guess you could say, and, and, you know, have the potential again of getting your heart into something that isn't going to finish. 
Right. And, you know, the thing is, like like I mentioned, first and foremost, the most important today, important thing in today's sports environment is actually the medical and testing program that you have in place to keep your players safe. That's like because if you don't have that right now in today's current environment, you can't get on the field and play. So the front office, all that other fun stuff, the football stuff doesn't matter if you're not doing that first. And that's going to require resources and it's going to require a lot of hard work. So it's another added expense, but you want to be able to in, um, reassure players that they're going to be covered and taken care of uh, during these crazy times. So that, that's a very important aspect. That's a very good point that that has to be incorporated into the the season or the especially if it's a bubble, which is what we're probably talking about. And uh, just to point out that talking to Jeffrey Pollock, he pointed out that uh, his brother Gary Bettman was uh, doing very well with the NHL bubble, and they are. They seem to be doing very well. We haven't heard, uh, knock on wood, that, well. that it continues for them. I only wish they would have let my favorite team, the Winnipeg Jets, win some more games, but <laughs> we'll, we won't talk about that. But he's got Bettman telling him how to do it. I think that's important to realize, so I think that's cool. That's uh, a huge helping hand, for without question. You know, you had... Um, before the league, before the plug was pulled out in the league back in April, the XFL already had a plan, uh, so a proposal submitted by uh, Sam Schwartzstein on how the league would operate as a single-site entity in a bubble, accounting for no fans. And in that proposal was the ability to shave off millions from the budget, obviously eliminating travel expenses, everything else. You don't need as many personnel there. So having Gary Bettman as a half-brother to Jeffrey Pollock, who could theoretically be on board as uh, back to being a COO of the league, uh, that would be a vital uh, asset to have and somebody to lean on. The NHL has handled it really well, as has the NBA and several other leagues have done a very good job during the bubble. That's uh, the model right now you want to emulate yourself after. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good to think about that. Uh, maybe the XFL could uh, could follow that model and be very successful. Now, Mike, uh, I know you wrote an article about this in, on uh, for XFL News Hub, and Greg actually wrote an article uh, for XFL Board on the same topic. Is what are the XFL's options to come back? Well, I think that's the big question. You know, when should the next XFL season take place? I contend there are four options. Um, I think the first one, fall of 2020, is the least likely. Sources I've spoken to, they've all said the same thing: too challenging. Not impossible, but extremely challenging. And they, I understand the reasons for, you know, great executives, football executives like Randy Mueller bringing up the possibility of situating the league in November with a launch and trying to see if they can leverage that into a TV deal um, because of the opening that's going to be available there with the NHL and NBA and et cetera ending at that point, and the missing college conferences. So and then the other three options are obviously where the league was intended, uh, February of 2021. Um, but we don't know. All the particulars that are going to be involved there, whether college football is going to be going on in the spring. We had former XFL quarterback um, Jeff Brom there go out there and say that, uh, you know, propose a proposal uh, of a plan where the college football season could take place, a shortened season, that is, between February and April. We don't know about what's going to happen with the NFL season. The NFL has set up contingency plans if their season were to be delayed or pushed back. The Super Bowl could be pushed back to late February. Hopefully we don't enter into that territory but it's a possibility so spring of 2021 is a preferred deal a lot of xfl fans would love to see that um and then beyond that you also have to account for the fact that even if you're running a bubble you have to have contingency plans in place if there's going to be any delays in the season because if god forbid you have an outbreak and games are canceled 
you have to be able to reschedule those games and be able to complete them. And we've seen Major League Baseball has had some issues with that. So um, and then, you know, there's late spring, early summer of 2021 is a possibility. It's not ideal. You lose out on a lot of those fringe NFL players that would normally go to the XFL and then latch on to NFL teams in the summer and training camp, minicamp, et cetera. So a lot of these. And then obviously the final option would be February of 2022, which is probably the most likely at this point, but it's the least desirable, at least for the fan base to wait that long. And, you know, Greg brought it up. I brought it up in my articles. The continuity is a huge issue, losing momentum from what the league was earlier this year, waiting two years. I mean, we waited 20 years two decades nearly for the uh, XFL to come back and then two years for XFL 2020 to launch. So I guess suppose we can wait uh, another two years, but I think uh, launching in February, 2022, you know, it's not as an exciting option, but it might be the only viable one. Yeah. It, it, there's Mike listed the four options there. Uh, some more realistic than others. I think the ideal situation is to, uh, Start in February 2021. Uh, it's it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough because that's a very short window to do a lot of the things. And that's why I think it's, again, advantageous to bring back the people who worked on the, the previous incarnation of the XFL uh, because there's not that learning curve that's going to be necessary. Um, so if you can do that, then you may be able to get up and running a little quicker, uh, especially if there's a bubble. Um, but, you know, a lot of this, especially the fall, uh, the idea that they could play in, in two months time. Um, and I've seen the arguments that, you know, it, it's possible, but you also have to remember that not only is it going to be tough enough from a standpoint of the XFL getting things up and running, there are going to be things out of the XFL's hands. Negotiations, um, they're going to have to rely on other companies. They're going to have to rely on, you know, the negotiations of the TV networks. Those, those tend to drag on. You know, how long yeah. do we wait for, for ESPN mm-hmm. and Fox Sports to be announced as uh, the XFL's partners in 2020? So while the XFL itself may be able to get itself up and running from a business standpoint uh, and even from an on-field standpoint in, in 2020 in um, the fall, there are going to be outside contracts and outside contractors right. who maybe just can't do it that quickly yeah so and that's not to interrupt to you in not to interrupt you there greg but it's a great point you're making i think the only way a fall 2020 season were to happen would happen is if the college season was completely canceled mm-hmm. and if the networks ran to the xfl and said we'll give you money start up yeah. the league that's the yeah. only way they said can you launch by november we'll give you money and then the xfl will go okay well we can run a bubble you know they would look at the scenarios i think that's the only way that uh, fall 2020 season were to happen is if, God forbid, there's a complete collapse of college football and the networks are so desperate for any type of programming that they rock, knock on Danny Garcia in the rock store and say, hey, can you guys be ready in a few months? It Yeah, it would be hard to turn that down, I think. The problem with that also, though, is when you work that quickly to get something up and running, there are going to be a lot more bumps in the road than if you take your time and I have agree. enough time to breathe and cross your T's and dot your I's. Completely so agree. I, I always look at the XFL and the decisions that the league makes, what's going to be best in the long term. And if they come out of the gate and they trip over their own feet in some form or fashion in the fall, just because they rush to get the product on TV, that's not going to help the long-term viability of the league. 
So, you know, even if they have to wait until 2022, which I know a lot of fans don't like, but my, like Mike said, we've waited. <laughs> we, we've had long breaks between the leagues. So, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay with doing that. Again, the idea being that long lead time is ideally going to help guarantee the long-term viability of the league. Mm-hmm. Now, our Redbird Capital and, and Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia going to want to pay for a year and a half with no games to, to pay league employees and things like that, just to get it up and running. Vince right. McMahon was, we don't know what their business plan is. So again, I think the ideal for me, 2021 February in a bubble is kind of that sweet spot. It allows all those um, team staffs to be built or rebuilt to go back into that community, to reestablish contacts, not have to rush around and do it. Um, but still have games to play and still play with the team names and still allow people to go into XFL shop and buy merchandise. So you're getting one revenue stream coming in at least uh, try to sell uh, whether it's documentaries or whatever the case may be to your Netflixes and your Amazons and get content out there. That's the big thing. And that's the thing it sounds like Danny Garcia has talked a lot about is the content of the XFL, even if the games are only played during a two, three month window, the content of the XFL will live year round in the consciousness right. of the fans. So by going in February 2021, you're allowing that filming to take place while you're continuing to build up the, the reputation of these teams in the cities. Yeah, personally, I'm all for a 2021 launch. Um, February would be the most ideal situation there. The only thing you have to worry about is competition from other football. We'll see what happens at college and everything else. And then obviously broadcast windows. If, you know, college yeah. uh, football conferences are taking up uh, network windows, you'd have to find your spot on the calendar to air your games where you're not competing. Cause you're competing with a lot during that time frame, but uh, obviously you'd be competing with football in this case, you know, the business aspect of it points directly to, February of 2022, because even though a bubble would shave off millions on the budget in terms of travel expenses and everything else, the big part of the league's revenue sources is a TV contract and ticket sales. And mm-hmm. when with a bubble, in theory, you could open up some of the games to fans if states will allow it, but you're losing out on a, a huge part of the league's revenue. And so the argument for 2022 would be to open up as a full-fledged fully realized football league with home games, away games, ticket sales, and all that, and perhaps a cleaner environment where you won't have as much opposition for viewership or opposition for what, what channels you're going to be on. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's a complex issue. I'll put it this way, though. The new owners did not buy the XFL, did not sign the check and say, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. You know, nobody yeah. does that. Nobody says, okay, what? Do, and now we're living in a what do we do now environment, no question about it. And it's not normal circumstances by any stretch. But they have a plan in place. And you mentioned yeah. the year round content and all that. Now they have to be flexible in that plan, but they didn't purchase the league not knowing what they're going to do. They have to weigh all options. But I think 2021, for me personally, would be a happy marriage. And you're just going to have to be willing to take the hits of, you know, potential competition and everything else that's going to be an issue in 2021 that would be my preference but i could see why people would point to 2022 as the better business option and mike you sort of alluded to this but you know to put it in very stark terms i think the networks are going to decide when the xfl starts up again based on 
what they're willing to offer monetarily based on what they're willing to offer in terms of um, windows for, for when they can show the games. So, you know, if, if college football goes in the spring, um, it's going to be at the same time as college basketball. And you may have so, networks saying, nope, we've got no room for you. Yep. Um, so come back and we'll talk 2022. That way we won't have the interference from college football. It'll be just like it was in 2020. Um, so, you know, this decision, and it's going to have to be made quickly. Yes. Like there, there's the decision will have to be made by the people in the XFL and by the networks very quickly. But I think that decision may ultimately be made in terms of when the XFL starts up again by the networks and the, the availability. There's certainly a lot going on there. And as you guys pointed out, though, we don't know what the plan was, as Mike uh, pointed out uh, as well, that there is a plan. There has to be a plan, but we're just not aware of what it is yet. And it'll be exciting to hear about that. Uh, one of the things that uh, Greg pointed out was the Netflix uh, option, like having some sort of a, a, a reality style program on Netflix. And I can tell you uh, something that I was look, looking at the stats for the XFL board website is uh, one of the one of the higher uh, search terms that comes uh, traffic comes to XFL board is what happened to Carlos Thompson. Now, Carlos Thompson, is a, he was a JUCO player, and he was featured in the Netflix series Last Chance U. People watch that series, and they say, well, what happened to this guy? Because on that series, he's actually quite uh, – you, you feel for him. Like, you want – you're behind him. You're, you, you become – he becomes kind of a, uh, somebody you, you root for. And now people are actually trying to figure out what happened to him. Of course, he was um, in the XFL draft and he went undrafted. So he's still looking for a football opportunity. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's out there. But the fact that people want to follow this guy and, and learn more about him, there is an opportunity there for the XFL to feature their players in these ways. You know, and, we talk about like, uh, you know, a lot of the pitfalls that are involved, involved in the current environment. But one of the strengths that are in the current entertainment landscape is streaming. And and I wouldn't shock me at all to see the XFL involved with streaming networks like you mentioned, Netflix. There there's so many streaming networks out there right now. HBO has a strong relationship with The Rock and obviously Danny Garcia and Seven Bucks and you know, HBO Max is a, a new fledgling, if you want to use that term, a streaming service that's also out there. And a lot of these streaming services are looking for content. And so the XFL, you know, Danny Garcia and company, we're going to have might have to be a little creative, use documentary features like similar to Last Chance You or Hard Knocks or what have you to leverage more revenue for the league. And I think it's quite possible that the league is on a, a streaming service in some form or fashion. I don't know if necessarily it's going to be the games, but wait and see on that. But I think there's a very, very likely that the XFL has a partnership with one of the streaming networks out there, whether it be a Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or HBO Max or whomever. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I find that to be very interesting. And uh, I also find it to be a little ironic because, uh, Vince McMahon's vision back in 2000, 2001 was to create a football league where the fans got to see more about what the players were like and on and off the field and tried to turn it into reality TV, which was uh, emerging at that point in time. Uh, and now uh, we may see very similar, uh, a very similar uh, concept, but obviously done differently than how McMahon did it in 2001. Right. But, 
but maybe the world is ready for this now uh, in a real in a real I know the world is I know that's one of the things people loved about the XFL's short season last spring was the fact that we got to see the inside uh, of what's going on uh, yeah, and you could argue one of the most entertaining games of the entire XFL season was the last one that aired on ESPN between Los Angeles and Tampa and obviously that game had over 70 total points a lot of big plays a lot of uh, cool things happened during the game, a huge comeback. But one of the great aspects of that game was the, the Josh Johnson, Norm Chow sideline access there. And fans loved hearing and seeing, you know, getting inside the actual game and seeing what goes on behind the scenes. So there is a market for that and people have interest in that. And it helps them attach themselves to the leagues and the teams and the individuals involved in it. For sure. I, I, I wonder why the NFL doesn't see that. Uh, or maybe they do. Another important thing that happened is Danny Garcia has talked about expansion. Now, how serious do you think she is about this? Well, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I wrote about this in my column, the, the five things we learned about the XFL in the first week of the new ownership. She did mention the word expansion, but in thinking about it, and this didn't even come to me until uh, I was actually writing the article, but she said expansion but i'm not sure if she meant expanding the teams because Mm. she said expansion and then she said expansion and storytelling so a lot of what we're talking about in terms of expanding the footprint of the xfl whether it's through reality series whether it's through you know documentaries on netflix or whatever for a production person that's expansion you know so i i don't know that she meant and, you know, and a lot of people were excited when, when she said that because there are a lot of people who want the XFL to expand it quickly um, in terms of the number of teams in the league. But I'm not sure reading her entire response to that question. I'm not sure expansion in terms of the number of teams is exactly what she was talking about. So, you know, it, it, it goes again to how much are these people willing to put into the league if they're willing to put in several hundred million over the long term, then sure, I could see more teams being brought in immediately because that's going to cost a lot of money. But if you don't start playing until 2022, if you don't have fans in in attendance in 2021, if you don't have a paying TV deal, that's more money out of your pocket to pay for everything associated with creating one, two, three, four more teams for the league. So the more I think about it, the more I think she meant expansion in terms of just expanding the XFL and the consciousness of the sports and entertainment fan uh, and being a, a entertainment entity 365 days of the year, as opposed to expansion as sports fans know it. Yeah, it's a very good point. You know, it's if she was, if the intention of her words were about expanding the number of teams in the league, it's spoken like a true fan because the most entertaining, exciting topic when it comes to any new leagues is expansion itself. It's the ultimate end game. It's the ultimate goal for these leagues to eventually get there. But like Greg pointed out, and it's true, if you add two, four, or even double the amount of teams that you have, um, you're doubling your expenses. So um, that's probably not the most sound uh, business strategy. But any fan of these leagues wants expansion, and it's the most exciting and fun topic to cover. And so uh, it would be fun down the road. It's a sign if there is expansion, it's a sign that the league has succeeded. You know, there are there have been leagues in the past that have expanded way too soon and it's hurt them. So the XFL has to do it right. But um, 
true fans or fans of this concept want to see expansion happen eventually. That's exactly it. Uh, and it, you pointed out that it would be uh, costly. Uh, yeah, it might not be a good business decision right now. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Now, the other thing I thought about just now before we end, the return of the XFL might be a, a documentary. And uh, by the sounds of it, possibly there's probably a camera crew or production crew that's filming their decisions right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you say that because the XFL that we just experienced earlier this year partnered with the creator of Hard Knocks, and they did a short documentary on the opening week of the season. And many of the league's figures were uh, featured in it, and obviously the defenders and the dragons who played the opening game were featured in it. So uh, they had a, they have a lot of footage out there that might be part of the assets that they bought. And if they decided to implement something like that now, that's something that's something that certainly I would follow. Um, just because starting up a league right now or trying to run and operate a league during these uncertain times is fascinating. I watched, I know a lot of, it didn't do great in viewership, but I watched the Hard Knocks episode with the Chargers and the Rams, and I was fascinated with the way these NFL teams are conducting themselves in this crazy environment that we live in. Yeah, everybody wants to see the inside track, you know, uh, that's why mm-hmm. the movie, that's why the movie Moneyball is so popular. Yeah, it, it's, um, if they did have a camera crew following them around right now as they're making the decisions, I think that would be really interesting. Um, not only for XFL fans, but I think it would just be, uh, I think it would cross over to, to fans of any other sport, you know, sort of like the XFL 30 for 30 did on ESPN. <laughs> you had a lot of people uh, who watched that, who were not fans of the original XFL and uh, really praise that uh, piece. So uh, it, it, this could be one of those things that crosses over and allows the XFL to sort of seep into the consciousness of non-XFL fans and hopefully make them a fan. Yeah, you know, I look forward to putting the, the new XFL documentary series on my Netflix watch list. That's all <laughs> I have to say. I mean, come on, bring it. We'll bring it. We'll watch it. Now, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to thank both of you for coming out and taking the time today. I know uh, we've talked for quite a lengthy time. This has been the longest one yet, but it was worth it. Uh, there was a lot to talk about, and there's still a lot to think about. So uh, I'd like to uh, propose a toast to the XFL and XFL 3.0. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> well, thanks, uh, Mike and, and Greg. Uh, it's uh, It was a pleasure talking to you, and I hope to hear from you again soon. Yep. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks again to my guests, Randy Mueller, Greg Parks, and Mike Mitchell. Don't forget to follow these folks on Twitter. They've got plenty of important things to say. More importantly, I hope everyone is safe, and I wish you and your family good health and well-being. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews, and you're welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra the xflboard.com podcast. <laughs> <laughs>